0: So we're starting um, on verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. This is God's word.
1: Heavenly Father, as always, we need your help this evening. We need your help to concentrate. I need your help to speak clearly and faithfully. We need your help to listen. Above all, Father, as always, we need you to work in our hearts that we might truly hear you as you address us as we come face to face with the Lord Jesus in your Word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would leave here tonight to changed people. Amen. All right, obey your leaders and submit to their authorities. Is this the point where I start laughing hysterically like a crazed dictator? you have to come and do first contact evangelism on thursday it says so well it is it's pretty blunt isn't it on the surface it does sound quite authoritarian uh, and i don't know how you react to that of obviously we should be sickened by any church leader who would want to try and assert their own power, and their own authority for their own ends. Of course we should. But when we come to a passage like this, it's also worth remembering the lenses that we look at it through, the cultural bias that we have. You know, you can read any secular commentator, and everyone recognises that there is a trend towards individualism. In 21st century Western culture, we're suspicious of authority. In all areas of life, kind of, society is a, is, is a lot flatter than it would have been a hundred years ago. You, know, you only have to watch Downton Abbey to realize that. Admit it, you all do. No, says Andy. Okay. You're missing out. <laughs> but also, in, in Protestant church circles, there, there is a suspicion of authority as well, isn't there? Obviously we wouldn't, we wouldn't call ourselves Catholics in the sense that we would think that the Pope is the head. So we do have a cultural suspicion of authority and it's important to recognize that. We're going to have to think very carefully about a command like this. We obviously don't want the tyranny of a cult of Matt Fuller or Matt Banks or whoever. Obviously not. But also we wouldn't want to water down a clear biblical command like this, uh, because our culture, our, our worldview, the lenses through which we look at it tempts us to. So we need to think and look carefully as we come to a command like this. Just say, uh, we'll follow through the service outline on the back of your service sheet Most of our time we're going to spend on this command, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. We're going to talk a bit about that. I'm going to show that the passage has, I think, two motivations for why you do that. So command, two motivations, and in the last part of our time together, we'll look at that wonderful prayer in verses 20 and 21. So firstly, what does this mean? Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Interestingly, that word obey, it's not, it's not the straightforward word obey, which I think helps. It's more the idea, if you look at where it's used elsewhere in the New Testament, it's got more of the idea of be persuaded by your leaders or trust your leaders. And that certainly, when we put it like that, that sounds a lot more palatable than a kind of straightforward Obey, doesn't it? You might ask the question, well, why is it that these Hebrews need to be persuaded? Well, because we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, we saw in verse 9 of chapter 13 last week, it's because these Hebrews are in danger of drifting away from the word of God as they're carried away, it says in verse 9, by, by strange teachings. Remember, we've said all along that these teachings are are either Judaism or some kind of hybrid between Christianity and Judaism, where they're tempted to kind of do the Old Testament sacrifices and things like that. And they're called strange teachings in verse 9. But from their point of view, from the Hebrew Christians' point of view, they would have seemed entirely rational and sensible teachings to, to drift away after. See, by drifting back towards Judaism or some hybrid of Judaism and Christianity, they could have avoided persecution. They could have avoided that awkward silence at dinner parties when they mentioned that they followed Jesus. They could have avoided those angry looks from their colleagues when they spoke openly and honestly about the greed and the sexual immorality in their city. The strange teachings that they would have been tempted to drift off back to are those teachings that would have been accepted by the establishment, those teachings that wouldn't rock the boat. And of course we're tempted always, aren't we? To just edge towards a kind of more palatable version of Christianity. Christianity. One that people in our families don't think is so extreme or so radical. And in the light of the temptation that these guys here faced, the writer says, verse 17, Obey your leaders or be persuaded by your leaders. Put your trust in your leaders. Don't put your trust in the socially acceptable teaching of Judaism or institutional religion or political correctness. Or whatever it would be. And you think, how would that uh, apply to us here at Christchurch Mayfair? Well, it seems, it seems to me pretty clear that the Bible's teaching on things like the uniqueness of Christ, sexual morality, God's anger at sin, those things are increasingly, increasingly unpopular in our society and in our denomination. And it may be that, obviously, at some time in the future, Christchurch Mayfair or or evangelical churches like ours will have to take a very public, a very visible stance to stand up to what the Bible teaches. And you know it, don't you? Whatever stance is taken, obviously it will be made with prayer, it will be made in a good conscience, but whatever stance is taken, you know it would be a lot easier not to take that stance. Always a lot easier not to take that stance. Always a lot easier to sort of just sidle away to a a version of Christianity that is more socially acceptable, that doesn't rock the boat of the establishment or the denomination or the political correctness mantra. And it will be then, won't it, that I guess the rubble will hit the road for us it will be then that we need to heed a command like this. Be persuaded by your leaders. Trust the leaders at CCM. So obey your leaders. Submit. Um, trust your leaders. Be persuaded by them. And then verse 17 carries on, and submit to their authority. And that sounds that sounds a lot stronger than be persuaded by, doesn't it? Automatically, that sounds a lot less palatable, and it and it is stronger. There, there's no easy way around it. It's kind of hard to stand up here and, and say that. But that is what it says. Those who are leaders at CCM are in a position of authority. And just to be clear, when I'm, when I'm talking about leaders of CCM, I'm primarily talking about the elders, which, which includes those who are, who are ministers. So submit to their authority. But of course, we need to be clear about the scope of that authority. Is, is, it, is it anything? Does it mean that, you know, if the lovely Simon Pedley suddenly gets all prima donna on us, that he says, you know, I'm not doing music next week, unless I have four bottles of chilled Perrier water and a bowl of blue M&Ms, that we have to do it. What? <laughs> I was like, I don't like the sound of that. It's just like... does, it, does it mean that? What is the, what is the scope of that authority? Well, I think there's some clues that help us. Firstly, notice that it's talking about leaders, plural. Okay, it's not just the whim of the, you know, the dominant person. It's leaders, plural, i.e. submit to the authority of a group of people who have prayerfully decided together and discerned things together. So that helps sort of work out what the scope is. And secondly, Just look back to to verse 7, where leaders are mentioned uh, prior to this. Now this is talking about a different group of leaders, a group of leaders probably most commentators think who, who who have passed on to be with the Lord. But look what these leaders did. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. So it seems to be that in the, in the, in the author's mind, the idea of leadership is linked with the authority that comes from teaching God's word. And so I think it it seems reasonable to me from verse 17 of today's passage that when it says submit to their authority, it, it, it is in the defined area of agreed upon together teaching. So shame on Simon. He can't have his bowl of, of blue M&Ms just because of this passage. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you have to do anything that a leader tells you. So what does it mean? Well, I think I think when we think about it like this, that it's it's submit to the authority of leaders plural, submit to their, their the authority that is derived from teaching God's word one way that it that it certainly applies for us uh, has to be in the area of of church discipline for those of you who are not familiar with that term that that means when when the elders the leaders have to say to someone i'm sorry for the for the way you're living or for what you're saying you can no longer be part of our fellowship it's not something that ever happens without a lot of talking without a lot of prayer it's never something that happens without Sad hearts, but occasionally it does have to happen. And The leadership of CCM has to make that decision. You for example, uh, again, it's not not easy to talk about, but many of you guys will will know Frank, uh, the elder elderly guy, who used to come to KG and who used to come to, sometimes be amongst us on a Sunday. Uh, it's fair to say he's a fairly he's a fairly eccentric chap, but those who were his leaders in his KG group. And did a fantastic job at looking after him. They had him around their house. Look, over many months, it became very clear that Frank didn't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Didn't believe that Jesus is divine. And that one of, one of, if not his main reason for being amongst us was, was to persuade us of his unbiblical views. And so, that was one of the cases where, after lots of prayer and discussion, the leaders at CCM, with sadness in their hearts, had to ask Frank not to come. Now, we we still pray for him. We would love him to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And as he did that, he'd be very welcome amongst us. Now, in that instance, what would it mean to submit to the authority? of CCM leadership. I think submitting to authority in, in that, insta- uh, that or any other instance of church discipline would, would be to, to respect that decision. And by the way, I don't think I've not heard anyone not respecting that decision. So it's not a, it's not, it's not a, a dig at all at anyone. People have asked me about it, but any, anyone and everyone who's asked me about it has done so uh, respectfully and uh, in a really godly way. But in this example, I think uh, not submitting to the authority of the leadership would be, I don't know, sort of walking in with Frank on a, on a Sunday or inviting him around your house and kind of bad-mouthing and undermining the decision that the leaders had to make. So that's what I think obey your leaders and submit to their authority means. It's be persuaded by them. And submit to their authority in that defined area that is derived from teaching God's word. So obey your leaders, submit to their authority. That's that's the command. And then the writer goes on to give two motivations as to why we should do that. So we move on to that motivation one on the sheet. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they are looking out for you. Okay, it says, verse 17: Obey your leaders and submit to authority, for they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. And that is one of those lines where anyone in a position of leadership goes gulp. This is serious stuff. It isn't a game, obviously. It isn't uh, a hobby or a career, says the writer. When we're talking about the church, we are talking about who will wander away from Christ and fall into the hands of the living God in judgment and who will persevere and keep walking and enter that eternal city whose builder and architect is God. And of course, each of us ultimately are responsible for how we respond to Jesus. But passages like this teach us that those who have leadership responsibility in a local church will somehow be held accountable by God for how they have helped or how they have hindered those in their care in sticking with Jesus. Now, as I say, at CCM, I think, say, the leadership is, is principally the elders, uh, and the ministers. But, but in a lesser way, in, a, in, an, in an, a proportional way, probably it also applies to anyone who's in a position. Uh, Bible teaching leadership, KG leaders, Sunday school leaders. It's daunting. Gosh, no wonder, is it, that the, uh, the author says, verse 18, pray for us. It's no wonder. But you know what? I think that the writer is talking about this though. In this instance, not so much to, to teach leaders what their responsibilities are and what they will be held accountable for. I think, as I say, it is, he's actually mentioning this as motivation to the listeners as to why they should submit to those leaders and obey them and be persuaded by them. You know, I think it's the equivalent of saying, well, submit to them because they've got your best interests at heart. Submit to them because they're looking out for you. And of course, that makes sense, doesn't it? You see, it's far easier to submit to someone who we know cares for us and we held accountable. You know, imagine a person coming at you with a knife saying, stay there! Well, that makes all the difference if that person is a doctor and it's a scalpel And they want to do you good. And they'll be held accountable for what they do. Knowing that the leaders at CCM will be held accountable to God for your souls should help you trust them. Should help you to be persuaded by them. Should help you to submit to their authority when it, when it as and when it's grounded on scripture. And then look at what the writer says, verse, verse 18. Uh, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. Now, all, the, all of the leaders at, at Christchurch Mayfair are far too British to make such a, such a boast. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure it would, would be true even if they did make it. But I, but I know they would want to make it. And I know that prayerfully and diligently they are asking God's help to to be more and more like that. And obviously, uh, mistakes will be made, like having the Lord's Supper on the night of the World Cup final. Sometimes we'll... And sometimes the leadership team will realise it. Sometimes repent of it and ask for your forgiveness. Many more mistakes will be made that won't be realised. Uh, and you guys will respectfully need to, to point it out. But the big motivation is obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Because they're looking out for you. And then the second motivation, halfway through verse 17. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be no advantage to you. Or, as I put it on the sheet, motivation to obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Because the easier you make it, the better they'll be. Stands to reason, doesn't it? I was just to say, um, there was one of those little surveys, wasn't there, in the Metro, uh, I think it was, a few months ago, about job satisfaction. And I think I'm right in saying that the job satisfaction amongst clergy was, was at number one. That's pretty good. I can't for, speak for ministers at other churches. I've, you know, I've been here a year with you guys. And I know that the congregation here give the elders, the leadership team, so much to be joyful and thankful about. Since I've been here I've noticed the sense of unity and purpose. I've noticed the, the trust and the submission to leadership. I've noticed people being open and honest if they disagree rather than just gossiping behind the leadership's back. I've noticed people being thankful and grateful to their KG leaders. You know, Don't get me wrong, I don't think any, anyone in ministry thinks it is an easy job. But I'm pretty sure that, that everyone of the leadership at CCM will by and large say, thank you. you. You don't make our job a burden. And that is a wonderful thing. And then there's the, and the, the motivation to keep doing that is there in verse, in verse 17. Obey them so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that will be of no advantage to you. Say, that makes sense. No, no leader is at their best when leadership is a burden, when they face opposition at every turn. I guess some leaders might, might like that challenge for a short period. But by and large, no, no one can keep up being a good leader if at every point there is opposition, if every decision is questioned. You know, that doesn't, uh, that's irrelevant what sort of sphere we're talking about in, in the school. It's no good if if the head of the school thinks leadership is, is a burden, that's that's no good to anyone. In the law firm in the IT department, it's no good. If you're a musician and, you, and your manager thinks that managing is a burden, that's no good to you. And obviously schools and law and IT and a music career are obviously important. But eternity is more important. So I think the writer would say, you know, it stands to reason. It's no good to anyone if the leadership team finds leading a burden, not a joy. Uh, We'd all want anyone who leads us spiritually to do the best job possible, wouldn't we? So obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they're looking out for you. And because the easier you make it, the better they'll be. And then finally, the author finishes this book with this wonderful closing prayer. Verse 20, listen to this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the, of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever amen. That's a a wonderful way to finish a, a letter, isn't it? And I presume that the reason that the author lets us in on what he's praying for the people he's writing to is to encourage them to do what he's been encouraging them to do all along. That is, stick with Jesus. You see, the prayer draws together most of, if not all, of the key strands of the book of Hebrews. In the first instance, we're reminded about Jesus' blood, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus reminded about the blood of the eternal covenant, the blood that secures for us an eternal redemption, the blood that cleanses us from the guilt of sin, the blood that washes our consciences clean, that enables us to stand perfect before God, that enables us to draw near to the throne of grace without fear of judgment, but with the certainty that we will find mercy and grace. The blood that establishes the new covenant that we'll remember in just a moment around the Lord's table. So the prayer reminds us of Jesus' blood. The prayer then reminds us that Jesus has come back from the dead. Look what it says. Verse 20. God brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. Literally the verb means led up from the dead. It's a wonder, the, the writer is painting this wonderful picture for us in this prayer. It's the picture of God leading or bringing up Jesus from the dead, but how is he described? He's described as a shepherd, the great shepherd. What do shepherds do? They they in turn lead sheep. It's the, it's the language of an exodus. It's the language of someone leading his people out. Jesus, the great shepherd, leading us, his people, not out of the land of Egypt, but up out from the land of the dead towards that eternal city whose designer and builder is God. So the prayer reminds us that Jesus is the one who saves us, who leads us up from the dead. And also that here, in the here and now, Jesus is the one who enables us and equips us to worship God acceptably. So the prayer verse 20 again, may the God of peace, skipping on a bit, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Remember in this last chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author's concern has been that we worship God acceptably. Or It's the same root word as here, sort of pleasingly. So we should be concerned with doing God's will and we should be concerned with pleasing him in our lives. And that will take obedience, that will take discipline, that will take sacrifice. But this prayer reminds us of the underlying truth that it is God who equips us to do this. As verse 21 says, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus we are brought near to God and given the privilege of serving him. Through Jesus we are made acceptable to God. That means we serve him from a heart full of praise, not a begrudging, fearful heart that thinks it needs to earn a place in his good books. And as we do that, that is, that is what produces pleasing sacrifices, as we saw last week. Through Jesus, we have our eyes raised to that eternal city, which allows us to hold lighter to the things of this world. So the writer finishes with this picture. Jesus, the great shepherd whom God appoints leading his sheep up from the dead, leading his sheep towards that eternal city. Jesus, the great shepherd, by whose death and by whose example God equips us now to live lives pleasing to him. And the writer would say, keep being led by this Jesus. Keep being led by leaders who themselves lead you to this great shepherd. The writer finishes this book of Hebrews, really, with what he's been saying all along. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the leadership here at CCM. We thank you for men who teach your word. We thank you for people who care about our souls. We thank you for people who who are well aware that they will have to give an account for how they have led us towards Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. And we pray that as we submit to their authority, we will Step by step towards that eternal city be men and women who follow Jesus, that great shepherd who was brought back from the land of the dead. Amen.